This is Chapter Eleven of Tom Sawyer Detective. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tom Sawyer Detective by Mark Twain. Chapter Eleven. Tom Sawyer discovers the murderers. Well, that was a hard month on us all. Poor Benny, she kept up the best she could, and me and Tom tried to keep things cheerful there at the house, but it kind of went for nothing, as you may say. It was the same up at the jail. We went up every day to see the old people, but it was awful dreary, because the old man weren't sleeping much, and was walking in his sleep considerable, and so he got to looking fagged and miserable, and his mind got shaky, and we all got afraid his troubles would break him down and kill him. And whenever we tried to persuade him to feel cheerfuler, he only shook his head and said, "If we only knowed what it was to carry around a murderer's load in your heart, we wouldn't talk that way." Tom and all of us kept telling him it wasn't murder, but just accidental killing. But it never made any difference. It was murder, and he wouldn't have it any other way. He actually begun to come out plain and square towards trial time and acknowledge that he tried to kill the man. Why, that was awful, you know. It made things seem fifty times as dreadful, and there weren't no more comfort for Aunt Sally and Benny. But he promised he wouldn't say a word about his murder when others was around, and we was glad of that. Tom Sawyer racked the head off of himself all that month trying to plan some way out for Uncle Silas, and many's the night he kept me up most all night with this kind of tiresome work. But he couldn't seem to get on the right track no way. As for me, I reckoned a body might as well give it up. It all looked so blue, and I was so downhearted. But he wouldn't. He stuck to the business right along, and went on planning and thinking and ransacking his head. So at last the trial come on towards the middle of October, and we was all in the court. The place was jammed, of course. Poor old Uncle Silas. He looked more like a dead person than a live one. His eyes was so hollow, and he looked so thin and so mournful. Benny, she sat on one side of him, and Aunt Sally on the other, and they had veils on and was full of trouble. But Tom, he sat by our lawyer and had his finger in everywheres, of course. The lawyer let him, and the judge let him. He most took the business out of the lawyer's hands sometimes, which was well enough because that was only a mud turtle of a back settlement lawyer and didn't know enough to come in when it rains, as the saying is. They swore in the jury, and then the lawyer for the prostitution got up and begun. He made a terrible speech against the old man that made him moan and groan, and made Benny and Aunt Sally cry. The way he told about the murder kind of knocked us all stupid. It was so different from the old man's tale. He said he was going to prove that Uncle Silas was seen to kill Jubiter Dunlap by two good witnesses and done it deliberate, and said he was going to kill him the very minute he hit him with the club, and they seen him hide Jubiter in the bushes, and they seen that Jubiter was stone dead. And said Uncle Silas come later and lugged Jubiter down into the tobacco field, and two men seen him do it. And said Uncle Silas turned out away in the night and buried Jubiter, and a man seen him at it. I says to myself, poor old Uncle Silas has been lying about it because he reckoned nobody seen him and he couldn't bear to break Aunt Sally's heart and Benny's. And right he was. As for me, I would have lied the same way. And so would anybody that had any feeling to save them such misery and sorrow, which they weren't no ways responsible for. 
Well, it made our lawyer look pretty sick, and it knocked Tom silly, too, for a little spell. But then he braced up and let on that he weren't worried, but I knowed he was all the same. And the people, my, but it made a stir amongst them. And when that lawyer was done telling the jury what he was going to prove, he sat down and begun to work his witnesses. First he called a lot of them to show that there was bad blood betwixt Uncle Silas and the diseased, and they told how they had heard Uncle Silas threaten the diseased at one time and another, and how it got worse and worse and everybody was talking about it, and how diseased got afraid of his life, and told two or three of them he was certain Uncle Silas would up and kill him some time or another. Tom and our lawyer asked them some questions, but it weren't no use. They stuck to what they said. Next they called up Lem Beebe, and he took the stand. It come into my mind then how Lem and Jim Lane had come along talking that time about borrowing a dog or something from Jupiter Dunlap, and that brought up the blackberries and the lantern, and that brought up Bill and Jack Withers, and how they passed by, talking about a nigger stealing Uncle Silas's corn, and that fetched up our old ghost that come along about the same time and scared us so, and here he was, too, and a privileged character on accounts of his being deaf and dumb and a stranger and they had fixed him a chair inside the railing, where he could cross his legs and be comfortable, whilst the other people was all in a jam, so they couldn't hardly breathe. So it all come back to me just the way it was that day, and it made me mournful to think how pleasant it was up to then, and how miserable ever since. Lambibi, sworn, said, "'I was coming along that day, 2nd of September,' and Jim Lane was with me, and it was towards sundown, and we heard loud talk, like quarreling, and we was very close, only the hazel bushes between, that's along the fence, and we heard a voice say, I told you more'n once I'd kill you, and knowed it was this prisoner's voice, and then we see a club come up above the bushes, and down out of sight again, and heard a smashing thump, and then a groan or two, and then we crope soft to where we could see, and there lay Jupiter Dunlap dead, and this prisoner standing over him with a club, and then the next he hauled the dead man into a clump of bushes and hid him, and then we stooped low to be cut of sight. Man got away. Well, it was awful. It kind of froze everybody's blood to hear it, and the house was most as still whilst he was telling it as if there weren't nobody in it. And when he was done— you could hear them gasp and sigh all over the house, and look at one another the same as to say, Ain't it perfectly terrible? Ain't it awful? Now happened a thing that astonished me. All the time the first witnesses was proving the bad blood and the threats and all that, Tom Sawyer was alive and laying for them, and the minute they was through, he went for them, and done his level best to catch them in lies and spy their testimony. But now, how different! When Lem first begun to talk, and never said anything about speaking to Jupiter, or trying to borrow a dog off of him, he was all alive and laying for Lem, and you could see he was getting ready to cross-question him to death pretty soon. And then I judged him and me would go on the stand by and by, and tell what we heard him and Jim Lane say. But the next time I looked at Tom I got the cold shivers. Why, he was in the brownest study you ever see miles and miles away. He weren't hearing a word Lem Beebe was saying, and when he got through he was still in that brown study just the same. 
Our lawyer joggled him, and then he looked up startled and says, "'Take the witness if you want him. Let me alone. I want to think.' Well, that beat me. I couldn't understand it. And Benny and her mother, oh, they looked sick. They was so troubled. They shoved their veils to one side and tried to get his eye, but it weren't any use, and I couldn't get his eye either. So the mud turtle, he tackled the witness, but it didn't amount to nothing, and he made a mess of it. Then they called up Jim Lane, and he told the very same story over again exact. Tom never listened to this one at all, but sat there thinking and thinking, miles and miles away. So the mud turtle went in alone again, and come out just as flat as he done before. The lawyer for the prostitution looked very comfortable, but the judge looked disgusted. You see, Tom was just the same as a regular lawyer, nearly, because it was Arkansas law for a prisoner to choose anybody he wanted to help his lawyer, and Tom had had Uncle Silas shove him into the case, and now he was botching it, and you could see the judge didn't like it much. All that the mud turtle got out of Lem and Jim was this. He asked them, "'Why didn't you go and tell what you saw?' "'We was afraid we would get mixed up in it ourselves, and we was just starting down the river a-hunting for all the week besides. But as soon as we come back we found out they'd been searching for the body. So then we went and told Brace Dunlap all about it.' "'When was that?' "'Saturday night, September 9th. The judge, he spoke up and says, "'Mr. Sheriff, arrest these two witnesses on suspicions of being accessionary after the fact of the murder.' The lawyer for the prostitution jumps up all excited and says, "'Your Honor, I protest against this extraordinary—' "'Sit down!' says the judge, pulling his bowie and laying it on his pulpit. "'I beg you to respect the court.' So he done it. Then he called Bill Withers. Bill Withers, sworn, said, I was coming along about sundown, Saturday, September 2nd, by the prisoner's field, and my brother Jack was with me, and we seen a man toting off something heavy on his back, and allowed it was a nigger stealing corn. We couldn't see distinct. Next we made out that it was one man carrying another, and the way it hung so kind of limp, we judged it was somebody that was drunk, and by the man's walk we said it was Parson Silas, and we judged he had found Sam Cooper drunk in the road, which he was always trying to reform him, and was toting him out of danger. It made the people shiver to think of poor old Uncle Silas toting off the diseased down to the place in his tobacco field where the dog dug up the body, but there weren't much sympathy around amongst the faces, and I heard one cuss say, "'Tis the coldest-blooded work I ever struck.' lugging a murdered man around like that, and going to bury him like an animal, and him a preacher at that. Tom, he went on thinking, and never took no notice. So our lawyer took the witness, and done the best he could, and it was plenty poor enough. Then Jack Withers, he come on the stand, and told the same tale, just like Bill done. And after him comes Brace Dunlap, and he was looking very mournful and most crying, and there was a rustle and a stir all around, and everybody got ready to listen, and lots of the women folks said, Poor critter, poor critter, and you could see many of them wiping their eyes. Brace Dunlap, sworn, said, I was in considerable trouble a long time about my poor brother, but I reckon things weren't near so bad as he made out, and I couldn't make myself believe anybody would have the heart to hurt a poor harmless critter like that. By jings, I was sure I seen Tom give a kind of a 
faint little start, and then looked disappointed again. And, you know, I couldn't think a preacher would hurt him. It weren't natural to think such an unlikely thing, so I never paid much attention. And now I shan't ever, ever forgive myself, for if I had a done different, my poor brother would be with me this day and not lying yonder murdered, and him so harmless. He kind of broke down there and choked up, and waited to get his voice. And people all around said the most pitiful things, and women cried, and it was very still in there and solemn. And old Uncle Silas, poor thing, he give a groan right out so everybody heard him. Then Brace, he went on. Saturday, September 2nd, he didn't come home to supper. By and by, I got a little uneasy, and one of my niggers went over to this prisoner's place, but come back and said he weren't there. So I got uneasier and uneasier and couldn't rest. I went to bed, but I couldn't sleep, and turned out, away late in the night, and went wandering over to this prisoner's place and all around about there a good while, hoping I would run across my poor brother, never knowing he was out of his troubles and gone to a better shore. So he broke down and choked up again, and most all the women was crying now. Pretty soon he got another start and says, But there weren't no use. So at last I went home and tried to get some sleep, but couldn't. Well, in a day or two everybody was uneasy, and they got to talking about this prisoner's threats, and took to the idea, which I didn't take no stock in, that my brother was murdered, so they hunted around and tried to find his body, but couldn't, and give it up. And so I reckoned he was gone off summers to have a little peace, and would come back to us when his troubles was kind of healed. But late Saturday night, the ninth, Lem Beebe and Jim Lane come to my house and told me all— told me the whole awful assassination, and my heart was broke. And then I remembered something that hadn't took no hold of me at that time, because reports said this prisoner had took to walking in his sleep and doing all kinds of things of no consequence, not knowing what he was about. I will tell you what that thing was that come back into my memory. Away late that awful Saturday night when I was wandering around about this prisoner's place, grieving and troubled, I was down by the corner of the tobacco field, and I heard a sound like digging in a gritty soil, and I croaked nearer and peeped through the vines that hung on the rail fence, and seen this prisoner shoveling, shoveling with a long-handled shovel, heaving earth into a big hole that was most filled up. His back was to me, but it was bright moonlight, and I knowed him by his old green bay's work-down with a splattery white patch in the middle of the back, like somebody had hit him with a snowball. He was burying the man he murdered. And he slumped down in his chair, crying and sobbing, and most everybody in the house busted out wailing and crying and saying, Oh, it's awful, awful horrible. And there was a most tremendous excitement, and, and you couldn't hear yourself think. And right in the midst of it up jumps old Uncle Silas, white as a sheet, and sings out, It's true, every word. I murdered him in cold blood. By Jackson, it petrified them. People rose up wild all over the house, straining and staring for a better look at him, and the judge was hammering with his mallet and the sheriff yelling, Order! Order in the court! Order! 
and all the while the old man stood there a-quaking and his eyes a-burning and not looking at his wife and daughter which was clinging to him and begging him to keep still but pawing them off with his hands and saying he would clear his black soul from crime he would heave off this load that was more than he could bear and he wouldn't bear it another hour and then he raged right along with his awful tale everybody a-staring and gasping judge jury lawyers and everybody and benny and aunt sally crying their hearts out and by george tom sawyer never looked at him once never once just sat there gazing with all his eyes at something else i couldn't tell what and so the old man raged right along pouring his words out like a stream of fire i killed him i am guilty but i never had the notion in my life to hurt him or harm him spite of all them lies about my threatening him till the very minute i raised the club then my heart went cold then the pity all went out of it and i struck to kill in that one moment all my wrongs come into my mind all the insults that that man and the scoundrel his brother there had put upon me and how they laid in together to ruin me with the people and take away my good name and drive me to some deed that would destroy me and my family that hadn't ever done them no harm so help me god and they done it in a mean revenge for why because my innocent pure girl here at my side wouldn't marry that rich insolent ignorant coward brace dunlap who's been sniveling here over a brother he never cared a brace farthing for i see tom give a jump and look glad this time to a dead certainty and in that moment i've told you about i forgot my god and remembered only my heart's bitterness god forgive me and i struck to kill in one second i was miserably sorry oh filled with remorse but i thought of my poor family and i must hide what i had done for their sakes and i did hide that corpse in the bushes and presently i carried it to the tobacco field and in the deep night i went with my shovel and buried it where up jumps tom and shouts now i've got it and waves his hand oh ever so fine and starchy towards the old man and says sit down a murder was done but you never had no hand in it well sir you could hurt a pin drop and the old man he sunk down kind of bewildered in his seat and aunt sally and benny didn't know it because they was so astonished and staring at tom with their mouths open and not knowing what they was about and the whole house the same i never seen people look so helpless and tangled up and i hain't ever seen eyes bug out and gaze without a blink the way theirn did tom says perfectly calm your honor may i speak for goodness sakes yes go on says the judge so astonished and mixed up he didn't know what he was about hardly then tom he stood there and waited a second or two that was to work up an effect as he calls it then he started in just as calm as ever and says for about two weeks now there's been a little bill sticking on the front of this courthouse offering two thousand dollars reward for a couple of big diamonds stole at st louis them diamonds is worth twelve thousand dollars but 
Never mind about that till I get to it. Now, about this murder, I will tell you all about it, how it happened, who done it, every detail. 